This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. Hope everyone's doing well today. You can have a seat. Actually, before you have a seat, hold on, stand up everyone real quick, unless you just don't want to. We're going to do something we haven't done in a long time. I don't know if you remember when we did meet and greet before, but people used to walk around. I'm not going to make you do that, but I want you to turn to someone next to you, either give them a fist bump, elbow bump. If you don't want to touch them, be like, what's up, like a head nod type thing. Like, just show that you care about community. So before taking a seat, find one person at least and say hello. (laughs) Say thanks for being here. See, that's a good sound. Hopefully the online audience can hear it. Online, you can do a digital, write digital fist bump, or if you're tech savvy enough, you can actually use an emoji if you know what that is. Anyway, how many people missed that sound right before preaching? I don't know about you, but like I was looking looking forward to that all week, knowing I was going to do that, Uh, because it's been a while. Some of you are like, wow, it's the first time I've talked to someone in like 18 months. No, not really, but... (laughs) No, for real, church has become so stale, right? We just come in, it's like we sing a song, you keep your mask on, hopefully you're smiling, but I can't tell, and then you leave and you go do something fun. I don't know. So anyway, I'm excited that you're here. Thanks for making it a priority to be here. Thanks online audience for tuning in. Um, I'm excited for today. Um, But before we jump in, just a couple quick things. First of all, if you couldn't tell, I'm wearing a flannel, and that is in heart of, of fall beginning on Wednesday. How many people enjoyed the rain yesterday? How many people were like, Oregon, can you ease us into it a little bit? Because it was like just too much. Like I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay, I went from like 90 degrees and like I love life to like, I don't know, like what happened? Like depression is in the air. So um, Oregon like slowly eased me back in. It's like hard enough with the, the light time change as it is. Anyway, but before we jump into the message, just a couple quick things. Um, first of all, Pastor Kevin and Pastor Rhonda, I know there's many new faces here, so you don't even know those people. Those are our lead pastors. Pastor David Charles Sasser is also not here today. He's trying to hunt an elk um, and bring home a prize. So him and PK are out there being men and doing something. I don't know. Um, probably have a story when they get back. Anyway, so you can pray for them, A, to catch, some, catch something, shoot something, kill something, not catch it. No one wants to catch an elk. They want to shoot the elk. Um, anyway, but they, um, Pastor Kevin and Pastor Ronald will be back next week, and we're excited for that. Um, and like Ali said last week, we, we really are rolling into just a, a new chapter in RLC. Um, for the last couple months, or 18 months, it's been kind of like survival, figuring out what to do, but there's a lot coming up. We've got the barbecue Wednesday. Um, the next Wednesday is the worship night, and there's water baptisms. If you're interested in that, go on Planning Center or the Church Center app, and you can see um, information about that. You can call the office and sign up for that. We're going to do water baptisms at um, the worship night, if enough people sign up. Um, on top of that, Pastor Kevin's coming back October 3rd to kick off a new series called Rhythm. Say Rhythms. And this will be a series you want to hear. It's going to be um, good, even just talking to him while he's been on vacation. God's doing something in his heart. And I love it because he's like, I'm not, maybe not supposed to say this, but he keeps telling me, he's like, Trent, I'm so inadequate to be able to preach this series because I like have yet to figure it out myself. But I'm like, that's good because like it, it keeps you humble, keeps you teachable, it keeps you curious. So you're searching. So he's going to come back with a heart ready to preach. Um, and last but not least, I want to encourage you to be here next week for um, Brittany and Damien. How many people know Brittany and Damien? Um, Brittany 
Brittany serves as um, an office assistant, like on staff at our Relevant Life Church. Um, Damien and Brittany are close friends to Allie and I, as well as um, family in a lot of ways to a lot of you. Um, but they're coming next week to speak about really a big portion of their life that a lot of people don't understand. That's Oyama. And Oyama, it means um, Oregon Youth Alive Ministry Academy. Hopefully I didn't butcher that. But basically it's an internship where they help take people that feel a call in their life to be in ministry and they help funnel them, raise them. They go through a, a two-year process of internships. If you know Alexis, Alexis has been with us. She's been in her second year of Oyama interning at our church. And so this is a thing you want to hear about. Like you may not be called into ministry, but like, I don't know about you, but like putting the future generation in someone's hands, like I want them to be well-equipped. And so like, you're going to want to hear what Brenny and Damien want to say. Um, you're going to want to hear um, what, what they have to offer as well as just come, come support them because they're family. They really are. They are family. Brittany does a whole lot behind the scenes that um, Julie's super grateful for, I'm sure, as well as the rest of our staff are like, Brittany's like the catch-all in a lot of ways. Like, here, Britt, like, have fun. So anyway, they're not with us today. They're speaking. Are they speaking somewhere else? Speaking in Depot Bay or something? So anyway, they'll be with us next week. So with that being said, say that's a good word. Good word. All right. How many people are ready? Yeah. I'm excited. I'm hoping this message comes across um, as good as I feel it in my heart. Because last night, like, you can ask Allie. I was getting fired up. This is going to preach. Like people, like I don't know what's going to happen, but something crazy is going to happen. So anyway, we're in our final week. So we have for the last seven weeks, we're stepping into week eight of a series called Seven. seven. And how many people in this series have been like, this has been good, life-changing, challenging? Anyone? A couple people? This has been, as I have prepped these weeks, I have been stretched so much. This last week has been um, this topic has been um, one that I've heard my whole life. I have gotten the gist, but it's come to life in just a new way. And so I'm super excited to share with you. Um, there are definitely a lot of new faces. So if you haven't met me, I'm Pastor Trent. I'm the youth and worship pastor here, um, as well as I have my hands in a lot of other stuff. And I have the privilege of, of um, ending this series, closing the chapter on this series. And so if you haven't been with us, you're like, why the number seven? Um, did you like give up on creative titles for your sermons? No. Um, seven is because seven is a super important number in the Bible. We see it all over the place. Um, God created the world in six days. On the seventh day, he rested. Um, there's seven Jewish feasts and holidays. There's 735 occurrences of seven in the Bible. Seven is God's number. It's the number of completion and perfection. Some of you who have heard this eight weeks in a row, you're like, shut up. I don't care. There's some new faces here that have no idea. So if I just start preaching, they'll be like, cool, the number seven, it looks great on a logo, but I have no idea. So anyway, why it's called seven though is because arguably, arguably one of the best occurrences of seven in the Bible is where Jesus um, is recorded making seven I am statements about himself. We see in the New Testament, in the Gospel of John, which is an eyewitness account of a disciple who walked with Jesus for the three years of Jesus' ministry and then wrote down a historical record of what happened, recorded Jesus making seven statements about himself. I am this, I am this, I am this. And the beauty of these statements is Jesus uses metaphor, which is super easy for us to grasp because he wanted everyone to, in a tangible way, understand who he was. Like he didn't want you to have to have a rock like science degree to like know to know how to understand him. So he was saying in a practical, tangible way, I am these things. And what's nice about them is there's like immense depth in each one of them, like immense depth. Hopefully you've noticed that. Um, there's immense depth, but they're also very simple. And so today we're stepping into our final one. And if you haven't been with us, um, I would encourage you to go back, check out on the podcast or YouTube. You missed some amazing sermons. Um, all our staff preached, except for PK and Larry Tomlinson, um, a retired minister that serves in our church. He, he preached one, and it's been a good series. And how many people agree with me it's been a good series? 
So anyway, with that, um, we're going to jump in. But real quick, too, the thesis of this whole thing has been your view of who Jesus is can be wrong, but when you get it right, it will change your life. Your view of who Jesus is can be wrong, but when you get it right, it will change your life. And so with that in mind, we're going to step into our final, final I am statement. Say, we made it. We made it. Okay. So if you have your physical Bible, turn with me to John chapter 13. If you have um, a phone, you can tap your way there. Uh, there's a thing. And I, if you've been here the last couple of weeks as I've been preaching, I keep challenging people to physically hold and scroll through. It'll be on the screen. You don't have to do it. But if you're like me, I'm like hands-on learner. So like if, if I don't like have something to do, I'll probably be thinking about lunch or something else and I'll zone out. So I don't want you to do that. Anyway, so we're going to jump in. But before I do, I want to give you couple things in context. Everyone, like, just pull down your mask real quick and give me a smile. Just make sure everyone's alive. Okay, cool. Put it back up so we don't get in trouble. Um, all right, so a couple things. First thing you know, you need to know about this is that we did not put these, these um, I am statements in chronological order, meaning we did not go, like, this is the first one he said, here's the second, here's the third. Like, we took them out of order, but we strategically placed them. And the reason is, um, actually, there's multiple reasons, but one of them is because of how we wanted them to line up. And I chose on purpose to end the series with this one. And that's significant to know because if, like, if you had to come up and go, hey, can you sum up Jesus in 19 English words? Like, the statement we're about to read, like, does it? Like, who is Jesus? What did he do? Why does it matter? Like, this statement encapsulates everything we've learned over the last seven weeks, okay? The second thing you need to know about this, um, the context of the scripture before we jump in, is that the environment Jesus um, was in when he made the statement was, was intense. And when I say intense, I mean I wrote a bunch of adjectives. Electric, it was climactic, it was emotional, it was nerve-wracking, it was anxiety-inducing, it was curiosity-provoking, it was not your average day, okay? And this is for a number of reasons. First of all, when Jesus made the statement, he was in Jerusalem, and you're like, okay, cool, like, what's so special about Jerusalem? On a normal day, it probably wouldn't have been all that special. But what you have to know is the week leading up to when Jesus made the statement in Jerusalem was Passover, okay? And Passover was like the hub of, of uh, was, or Jerusalem was the hub of Passover, okay? So comm or spe uh, commentators speculate that thousands, even hundreds of thousands of Jews came to Jerusalem to commemorate the Passover, okay? So this was like, it was hype. Like a huge festival. I just lost sound. Oh, it's back. Okay, cool. I could totally tell. You want me to swap? Where's mine? Julie has it. I was preaching so good, the devil had to cut me out. So the nation of Israel getting delivered out of slavery in Egypt in the Old Testament, okay? How many people knew that? Shake your head, okay? So what I'm wanting to point out is like at, as, as they were finishing the Passover festival this week, in John 13 and 14, Jesus was preparing to, to set them free from sin and death. So they're celebrating this old freedom from slavery, and Jesus is about to set them free from sin and death, every human. So like, you can't miss the correlation. Like, Jesus timed this perfectly. Like, this was not on accident. Like, he was doing it on purpose, okay? So that's the first thing you need to know about how this, this um, this environment was, was intense. Okay, the second thing you need to know is right before John chapter 12, when we start to see um, Passover week unfold and, and, and the week leading up to Jesus' crucifixion, we find out that Jesus just had raised recently a man from the dead named Lazarus. How many people were here when Pastor Larry talked about that, okay? So I don't remember if Larry mentioned this, but after Jesus raised this man from the dead, a ton of people started believing, him, believing in him even more. Because it's one thing to do some of the miracles he did. It's another to raise someone who has been in the grave for days from the dead. 
Okay? At the same time, we find out in John eleven fifty seven that this ticked off the religious leaders so much that they literally put out a warrant for Jesus' arrest. Like, I, like, sometimes forget that. Like, we always say the, the religious leaders wanted to kill Jesus. No, like, they declared, like, if you know where Jesus is, tell us so we can go find him and arrest him, okay? So, with all of this in mind, Jesus rides into Jerusalem like a king, and everyone is praising him, saying, like, Hosanna, king of the Jews, like, like how many people know what I'm talking about? Okay, so this environment, this is John chapter 12. As we come to the end of John chapter 12, the disciples are sitting in the upper room with just Jesus. It's calmed down, but the, the environment is intense, and it's the night before Jesus' crucifixion where he's going to die on the cross in the most excruciating way. And in this moment, he declares the statement we're about to read. And so what I want you to catch is like sometimes we can read these and we don't understand like how intense this was. Like for Jesus to be in the, like the, 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 the frame of mind to teach his disciples more things when he's about to face torture and death is huge. Okay, is this making sense? So with that in mind, let's read John 13. I'm going to read only eight verses this morning. Um, starting in, in 13 verses 33. It says, my children, and this is a term of endearment, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Okay? And let's skip down to verse 36. Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. So keep that in mind, because that's going to be important. We're going to come back to that. Okay? Skipping down now to chapter 14, verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, so believe in me also. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thankfully, Thomas, like the rest of us, because Jesus is constantly speaking in riddles, is like, Jesus, we don't understand what you're saying. Um, so Jesus clarifies, which is good. He says, um, Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. All right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The title of my message this morning is I just want to go home. Okay? I just want to go home. Turn to your neighbor. You got to say it like a whiny little kid. I just want to go home. Okay? All right. And let's pray real quick. God, we just thank you for this opportunity. God, to study your word. God, you know um, how much um, the desire in my heart is to get clarity across, God, when I speak. God, so I just pray right now, God, your Holy Spirit would speak. God, this message is life-changing. God, beyond anything that I can do, God, this, the, the text we just read is life-changing. So I pray that people will walk away with their lives changed today. And we just thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. amen. So by raising hands real quick, how many people in here would declare that you are a homebody? Homebody, you know what that means, homebody? Okay, now how many would declare, like, I'm an adventurer, like, I'm like, I like being out? Okay, so there's kind of a mixed crowd. Um, if you would ask me three years ago which one I was, I probably would have, like, 100% leaned towards the homebody. If you would ask Allie three years ago, she would have leaned 100% to adventurer. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, like, homebody means, like, you like to hang out at home, like, you like wearing clothes, no clothes at all, like, whatever you want to do, like, you're reading a book, watching a show, come on, don't ask like gross like you know you're like I don't have to worry about nothing while I'm at home okay so um adventure is like the opposite they're like I want to leave like I want to go like try a new place and like hang out with my friends like it's just like a different vibe okay so it's funny because like um like I said Allie and I a couple years ago we were definitely like kind of on opposite spectrums now that we've been married we've kind of pulled each other to the middle to where we now both have like each of our moments and it's funny because now our battle becomes like I want to go, and she wants to stay, and she wants to go, and I want 
to stay, okay? But at the end of the day, like, regardless, like, even if you're the biggest adventurer in the world, at some point, like, you always have this cry that like, I just, I kind of want to just go home. Like, I need a night at home. You know what I'm talking about? Like, even with Allie and I, like, there's times where, like, dude, we are so tired. Like, we just need either a day or a night at home where, like, there's no expectations, no work to do. Like, we're just hanging out, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. And um, it's like Dorothy in Wizard of Oz said, uh, Wizard of Oz, Wizard of Oz said, there's no place like home, right? There's no place like home. And so what I want to do is I want to clarify today, when I say home, I'm not talking about just like a physical location, right? Like obviously it is a physical location, but more than that, it's also something that um, is a destination for your spirit and your soul. It's a place where you can, when you can let your guards down and, and just be you, okay? Home represents for most of us peace, rest, safety, comfort. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you guys totally, totally can, can get this. So for most of us, home is where we get con- complete control over the environment, right? For most of us, that's what happens. Um, it's our rules. It's our possessions. It's, it's the space that we want to manipulate. We can. It's a safe haven where legally no one can just walk in on you, right? Like, unless they, like, want to get arrested, um, Home is oftentimes where we can let our, our walls down. Like I said, like you don't have to walk around going like, I have to look a certain way or I have to dress a certain way, right? There's something different about home. Home is where there's no expectations from anyone except for yourself. Like obviously like you have some like family responsibilities if you're a parent and so forth, but like your boss can't email, and be, email you and be like, hey, I need you to do the dishes tonight. Like that's like, it's not a thing. It's your home, okay? And so some of you are like, man, this, this home thing sounds really great. I wish I had more like, of one of these. Anyway, um, but for most of us, home, although it can be stressful at times, is therapeutic. And like whether you recognize it or not, like I think if you really thought about it, you would be able to say the same thing. There really is no place like home. And so a lot of you already know where I'm going with this home talk because you've heard this, this sermon before, you've read this text, but let me just like give you a little insight, um, like a, a Trenton trade secret, okay? At this point in every message that I preach is what I label as tension, okay? I say tension. So when I preach, this point of my message, I am always trying to cause tension in the audience, um, for a number of reasons, because tension keeps you engaged. If I cause tension in your heart, you're going to be like, oh, I need to pay attention. Um, if, if, if I cause tension, it's, it's, it's hopefully going to be relieved at the end of the message. You're like, ah, I have a takeaway. You get what I'm saying? So I spent a lot of time on this tension. But what's interesting is that in, in today's case, the text gives you the tension. Like, I didn't have to create anything. See, because um, the tension in the story is one that we all face on a consistent basis. And as I label it for you, you're going to go, yes, I, can, I, I in some way can relate, this, relate to this. I don't have to have, be told, okay? So this is a tension that gnaws at us. It frustrates us. It doesn't let up. It doesn't feel right. It's a tension that will never actually be fully relieved until we get to heaven. And it's the tension that I encapsulated in my message title of, I just want to go home. I just want to go home. And when I pictured this title, I thought of like a TV show or a movie. It actually happened in a TV show Allie and I were watching last night, which is hilarious. But it's like someone who's emotional and tired and overwhelmed, and they're making the cry from their heart of, I just want to go home. Okay? But the reason I called it this is because in the context of this message, it's also an adequate representation of of the the, the soul cry deep within of, I just want to go home. I just want to go home. In my opinion, this statement adequately expresses the cry the, disi- the disciples are making to Jesus in, in, in the story we read. See, because in John 13, 33, Jesus said, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. Where I'm going, you cannot come. See, Jesus was revealing to them that he had to leave them and he was about to go to heaven. And you have to understand the disciples were devastated. Okay? They were devastated. For three years, 
They had left family, business, and any source of future, future belonging in society to follow this man, Jesus. He was, in all the ways I just described home, he was home. He was home for them. He was their peace. He was their rest. He was their safety. He was their comfort. He was where they could let their guards down, and now he's leaving. So they're devastated and concerned, and the best part, which this speaks to God's character, so you should pay attention, is Jesus, the night before he's about to be tortured to death, when they're like, Jesus, where are you going? And he can sense they're troubled. He's not focused on his trouble. He's focused on theirs, and he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And I will come back and I will take you to be with me that you may be where I am. In other words, he's saying, don't worry. I'm going to prepare a place that is ultimate home, where there's ultimate never-ending peace, hope, and rest. And like the temptation right here is like you guys are going to check out because like you again have heard this passage of scripture. But please don't because this is like one of the most foundational life-impacting scriptures you could ever read. He's telling them, I am leaving to prepare a, a place for you that is ultimate home. And what I want you to get, will you throw that next slide up for me, is this. The invitation extended to them in the midst of their troubling and confusing circumstances is the same invitation extended to us in the midst of our troubling and, and confusing circumstances. That invitation to go home. So catch that, because you're all in turmoil, whether you want to admit it or not. You want to go home. I, you don't necessarily know how to put a finger on it, but that feeling of I just want to go home, I want to feel soul rest, you have that feeling. If you're like the other 7.64 billion people on earth, it doesn't take much time in, in this life for you to feel this tension in your heart of I just want to go home. This world, as beautiful as it is, is broken. There's immense pain. The hatred is overwhelming. The circumstances birth continual unrest. It feels wrong like it shouldn't be this way. And the reality is, in heaven, it won't be this way. And so what I want you to catch is this. We spend too much time trying to make this place make sense rather than knowing that in heaven, it will all make sense. We spend too much time in this place trying to make sense of it rather than going, in heaven, it will all make sense. And this is the invitation Jesus extended, and this is the reason why it's closing our series. Because every other message we have preached has come back to Jesus' life. He's life. And when he's saying life, he is saying in something that would take hours, thousands of words, books on end to be able to fully describe for you what he's meaning. But it, it's all encapsulated in this feeling of I just want to go home. So I want to give you two points this morning. What does Jesus mean when he says I am the way? Not when he says I'm the truth in life. We'll get to that later. What does he mean when he says I'm the way? He means this. He's not a way but he's the way. Point number one, he is not a way, he is the way. Turn your neighbor and say, he ain't a way, he the way. That's improper grammar, but it sounds funnier. So as we have continued to point out in the series over and over again, when you hear Jesus say a statement, um, um, statement about himself in a metaphor, you're not supposed to complicate the metaphor. Like, I hope you've grasped that. Like, yes, there's deep meaning, but like more than that, like don't complicate it. The metaphor today is a way. That's the metaphor Jesus is using. Truth and life aren't the metaphor. We're going to get in that later. The way is the metaphor, okay? So ask yourself, what is a way? How do you understand a way? What does it do? Why do you need it? Apply those same things to Jesus. A way is something that is traveled to reach a destination. It's to help you get from point A to point B, okay? So when Jesus is saying, I am the way, he's saying, I'm able to get you from where you are 
to where 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 to a destination, and more importantly, somewhere you want and need to be. It's a, it's a it's a destination you want and need to be at. So we have to ask and answer the question today. The same question that Thomas asked in John 14, 5, when he says, will you throw that next one up for me? Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? There's two questions. Where are you going? What is the way? What's the destination? How do I get there? And some of you, again, the temptation is to go, this is easy. Like, he's talking about heaven, and Jesus is the only way to heaven. And you're 100% right. But it's deeper than that. And in the depth of it is where your soul finds rest. And that's what I'm trying to point out to you today. See, we have heard this over and over again. Preachers are like, Jesus is preparing a place for you. John 14, 2 through 3 tells us, my father's house has many rooms. I'm going up there to prepare a place for you, okay? But where we get things messed up is in the King James translation where it says, in my father's house are many mansions, okay? And so we're like, sick, God's making me a mansion. It's gonna be bougie. It's gonna have all the best appliances. Like, I'm gonna have a freaking back, backyard basketball court. Like, like, we get so caught up in this, in this mansion idea. And if that's like your interpretation of the text, you're missing the point. See, because that may be the case, but it's bigger than that. Jesus wasn't talking about leaving, grabbing a hammer, and going all Chip and Joanna Gaines in heaven for you, okay? Like, he wasn't like, I'm going to go do a, a nice big remodel for all my disciple friends. When he's saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you, he's meaning, I'm going to prepare a place for you in the presence of God. Let me say that again. When he's saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you, he's saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you in the presence of God. Some of you are like, well, like, can I still have the house? Because the house sounds like cooler. Like, no one got that. As I thought it would be more funny. Like, like a mansion's cooler. No, okay. Anyway, whatever. On the surface, like, this may not seem as glorious as it sounds. But as you understand what Jesus is saying, it's mind-blowing. Because what you have to understand is God's presence is where your soul can find home. It's where all the bad in this world finally makes sense. It's where the creation, us, encounters the creator, God, and everything adds up. It's why we can take a moment in, in God's presence just like we did. And all angst and doubt and, and worry can, can dissipate in a second. It's why you can, in, on, on, your, on your drive to work, be listening to a worship song and you can feel like something shifted in the atmosphere. It's because your soul is encountering home for a split second. It's like a light bulb needing a lamp. It, like they go together. If you just have a light bulb, it's not gonna produce light. Your soul needs its home. And so here's what I want you to get. This is why the disciples were distraught that Jesus was leaving, okay? Like obviously, like yes, they thought he was Messiah and he was gonna do this, like overthrow the kingdom and all this stuff. But more than anything, they were distraught because in a way they were losing home and they didn't wanna lose it. But the reality is, is that Jesus understood something that they didn't grasp yet. What they were experiencing with Jesus was just scratching the surface of what all of humanity could access if he left. All the joy and the purpose and the rest and the safety and provision, it was meant for everyone. But none of us would be able to fully experience it unless Jesus left. And the question is why? And I don't have a lot of time today to unpack because as it is, I'm already kind of running along here. But what I want to try to sum up for you is that if you go back to the creation account in Genesis... One thing occurred that in that moment created a chasm between us and God. Because if you go back in, in, into the garden and you, think about, and you think about how it literally says they audibly heard God walking through the garden. Like we can speculate, like in some regard, they were in God's presence unlike any other human being has been in God's presence. They audibly were hearing his voice from my understanding. 
So what happened is because of, of man's, um, man's choice to disobey, this chasm was split, split between us. And we throw that next picture up. And so now, like, what you have to understand is the history of humanity has been figuring out how to bridge this gap. The story of humanity is one that one generation after another goes, like maybe money, greed, sex, relationships, possession, success, adventures, hobby, all of these things. Maybe they're just, they're, they're, where, they're where I can find my soul, soul's home. And what's crazy is like we're still foolish enough to, like, to believe that lie. And so we're going to continue to find ourselves powerless over and over again to get back home. And this is why Jesus had to leave them because he alone could bridge the gap. See, if he didn't leave them and go hang on the cross, then their sins and every other human sins would for eternity hinder them from truly making it home. This is why Jesus told Peter in John 13, 30, 36, he says, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow when? Now. But you will follow later. Jesus was saying, you have no right to step into God's presence right now. You're a sinner. And you cannot fix your sin. Humanity's been trying to do it from the beginning. Only I can make a way. And that's why, the next one, he, he hung on the cross. Because the cross is the bridge. The cross is where Jesus took all our sin and he carried it and he bore it and he defeated it. And now as we stand in God's presence, we're standing in Jesus. Jesus is in our hearts. So when God sees us, he's seen the perfection of Jesus. And this is what I meant when I say he is not a way, he is the way. There's no other way to get to God other than him. We live in a world that says all paths lead to God. They don't. We live in a world that says, just try harder, do more, and you will make it. It won't work. Isaiah 64, 6 tells us our righteous acts are like filthy rags. It doesn't matter how hard we try, we can't make it. And what's funny is Jesus stepped into a culture that's, that believed the same things we're still believing today. The religious leaders of that day continue to say, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that, follow these rules, and, and you'll make it to God. But what's funny is their interpretation or where they took that from was the law that God gave. And the purpose of the law that God gave was not so that we could go, okay, here's a 10-step checklist. If I check all these off, I can make it to God. It was actually a, guide, a, 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 a measuring stick to go, you are not able to make it. Like we've all been at the parks, right, where it's like you cannot get on this ride unless you hit this height. We would never hit the height that God, that God said is righteousness. That's what the law was for. It was to show us the need for a savior. And that's why Jesus came in Matthew 5, 17 and said, do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have come to, I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He came to do what we could not do. He came to make a way where there was no way. So I believe he can do it again, right? We're singing about it constantly. And so if you've been at RLC for any point in time, you know my clock is running out and I'm normally a point preacher and I've already taken a really long time to get here. Don't worry, I only have one more point and I want to show it, show it to you because this is something that um, I, I read about and then I just felt like God awoke it in my heart and I want you to grasp it because um, it's so applicable to the world we live in and hopefully it changes your worldview to a degree. So when we, when we read John 14, 6, Jebus, Jesus labels himself as three things. I'm having all sorts of fun words made up today. Uh, Jesus labels himself as three things, the way, the truth, and the life. And a lot of times we get caught up in all three, which is totally fine, right? Like he does say he's all three. We should know that um, he is all three. But the reality is only one of them is the main subject of this statement. See, um, let me show you actually. Adam, will you throw that slide up for me? 
if you look here, I've highlighted over and over kind of like these continuing themes throughout the passage we just read. So it says, where I am going, you cannot come. Lord, where are you going? I am going there, and if I go, I will come back and take you. The way, where, going, where, going, the way, come. Okay, so you see like what I'm saying? Like in that, the main subject, nowhere does it talk anything about truth and life. It talks about a way. So the main subject is the way. So then what we have to ask is, why did Jesus add truth and life? Why didn't he just say, I'm the way to the Father? And as I studied, I realized he's using truth and life as credentials as to why he had the right to make such an audacious statement. See, in other words, he's clarifying to his audience how he, how he has the ability and, and, again, all the rights to make the statement. So theoretically, like, go with me. Like, if you, if you broke your arm and you go to the doctor and you're sitting in the doctor's office and your arm's in a lot of pain, and a guy with, with um, slippers, pajama pants, a stained shirt, and messed up hair walks in, sticks a Band-Aid on your arm, says, wear it for eight days, your arm will be fixed. What's your response going to be? What are your credentials? Like, can you show me that you've been licensed to do this? Like, have you gone to school? Like, how do you have the right to prescribe this type of healing? You know what I'm talking about? This is how we function. This is how we think. So Jesus, he is prescribing that he is the way, and he knows that it's provocative enough that he has to prove why he can say it. So how can he have the audacity to say this? How can he have the audacity to say this? That's my second point. Because he is truth and life. Because he's truth and life. Do I have any um, GPS users in the room today? GPS users? So I love GPS. I am someone that will use GPS even if I know um, the location to where I'm going and how to get there um, just because um, I like the ETA countdown, right? Like, I like to know when I'm going to get there. Like, I'm that, like, I don't know, busy or just self-absorbed that, like, I want to be able to see it. And uh, I, so I use, I use uh, GPS a lot. Like, Allie and I take trips, and I'm like, I ask Allie, like, hey, how much time is left? She's like, I don't know. I didn't nap it. I'm like, why? I'm like, use the countdown, okay? Like, it's like a great resource. Like, it's because I'm controlling. It's fine. Anyway, um, I have two apps that I really love to use. The first one's Waze. How many people heard of Waze? Um, I think they're called Wazers. I'm just joking. I have no idea if that's a thing. Um, but I love Waze because Waze does a lot of work for you. So you type in a destination, your starting point, and it goes, okay, um, here's, like, the path you need to take there. Like, here's, like, the traffic level at the time you're going. Here's any construction or accidents. And it actually maps you around all that to go the fastest way possible okay so like it will take you down side streets and streets you're like why am I going this way but because it's it's has extra knowledge it's it's telling you the fastest way it's a great app if you don't know it like if you haven't used it use it it's bougie okay another huge plus about ways is um other wazers can um put on the map upcoming things so like if there's a cop or an accident it will show on your screen and like I can put them on too when I'm using it which is super nice because like you can slow down and be extra good when you're passing a cop. I'm just saying, okay? Um, but so that's why I like Waze. The other, other app I really like, though, is just the Apple Maps. And some of you are probably like Android users. So you're like, I don't care about Apple. But cool thing about Apple, and I think other apps do this too, but Apple specifically, I know, does it, is that when you type in a starting point and a destination, it kind of gives you this overview layout where you can see all these different paths to get there. So here I show like Relevant Life Church South Campus to Relevant Life Church East Campus. See, like if I were to go this route, it's telling me there's multiple different ways to go. And it's telling me the fastest. How many people have seen this before? Okay. This is great, especially because we live in a world that's super um, busy and, and you, want, um, you, want, you want convenience and you want ease, right? This is, this is a great thing. But 
this is a perfect illustration to highlight the choose-for-yourself um, based culture that we live in. The choose-for-yourself choose lifestyle we like to claim is the way we live life. See, I spent the last 20, 10 to 20 minutes expressing how Jesus is the only way to God, meaning God does not work like Apple Maps. Throw that next image up for me. Like, that was not what God planned. I drew that on PowerPoint. I'm just saying it's pretty skilled, okay? Like, I don't know about you, but... But you see what I'm saying? Like, God prescribed one way. Like, it's not like you pull up Apple Maps and it's like, here's three routes. Like, the loop-de-loops especially, especially amazing. Um, see, and what's crazy is like, the fact that I just said that makes me narrow-minded and bigoted. It makes me prejudiced. It makes me not caring for humanity. It makes me um, a, just a self-absorbed person. Like, that's not okay in our society to make a statement as declarative as the one I just made. Our culture is all about our life, our choice. Since the beginning of time, humanity has always liked subjective reality. And subjective reality means like I like to base my life off of my opinions, my feelings, and my beliefs. How I see it should be the way it's, it's, it's lived for me. And there's a lot of different labels for this, but one of the most common ones is relative truth. And so I came up with this definition for relative truth when I spoke in youth group because um, I wanted our students to grasp it. So relative truth, in, in my understanding, is the belief that things like truth and morals and beliefs are personal decisions, and they can change depending on a particular frame of reference or situation. So in other words, lying's not okay unless the situation calls for it. Okay, like murder's not okay unless it's like a fetus. Like it's, it's, it's okay to, to do this, but not that. It, it's okay for you to have an opinion of belief as long as it doesn't step on my opinion of belief. And this is relative truth. And like, we can't just like throw a stone at the world and go like, oh, the world's so guilty of this because Christians literally under the guise of God fight these battles that they're claiming that God has said. And really, it's just their subjective reality they're covering up with God. I'm guilty of this myself. That's why it always has to come back and go, man, what does the scripture say fully? What's the full context? What is Jesus really meaning? Because at the end of the day, that we, we have to live by God's rules. And God's an absolute authority. He made the world to work in an absolute truth way. And absolute truth means this. The belief that things like truth and morals and beliefs cannot be personally decided or changed, but are cited by an absolute authority. And guess who's not the absolute authority? It ain't you. It's God. God decided, I created life. This is how it's going to work. I created life. This is how it's going to work. And what's funny to me is humans who are the ones who screwed up life in the first place also want to take the wheel back and go, I can get me back on track. That's, how, that's what you're saying when you're saying that God is lying when he says he's the only way. Is you're saying, no, like I screwed it up, but like I can get myself back on track. Like I, I'm responsible. If you were responsible, you wouldn't have done it in the first place. And I'm going out on a limb here and I, I'm assuming that Jesus knew humanity always struggled with this idea of wanting a choice. And that is exactly why he couched his statement, I am the only way home with the credentials that I am truth and I am life. He's saying, I created the world. I'm the absolute authority over it. I designed life itself and I know how it works. I know what is right and wrong. I have complete knowledge and authority to say that I'm the only way back home. And where a lot of people, this wasn't even in my notes, but a lot of people think this is such a, a terrible way to live life. You're like, so you're saying God just makes a bunch of rules. And so like, if I don't follow these rules, like I'm gonna blow up or I'm gonna like 
get cancer or something. Like, no, that's not how God works. It's like, I like the illustration. I believe Stephen Furtick said it. Someone else could have taken it. But it's like, when I have a dog, like I love my dog, Ollie. Like I'm not stupid enough to just like have no fence in my backyard and let Ollie out and expect her to stay home and to live in a safe way. I put a fence up because then I can let her out and she can experience freedom within the bounds of safety. That's why God has a guideline for the way of life. He says, here's life and here's the best way to live it. If you want to go outside the walls, fine, but you're on your own. And you can't expect it to go the way you want when you didn't create it to go that way. And it all comes back to what we learned in the second week of the series when Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Every time he made an I am statement, he used these Greek words, ego imi. How many people remember what I talked about here? Let me just give you context for, in case you don't remember. So in the Greek, there's, there's two different words for I am. There's ego and there's imi, okay? And when Jesus said, I am the bread of life, when I am the light of the world, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he didn't say just ego or just imi. He said ego imi. So in English, we'd go, cool, Jesus has a stutter because he said, I am, I am. And you're like, I don't understand. But what you have to understand is Jesus was talking to a specific audience, and his audience would have grasped exactly what he meant when he said, ego imi. See, because his audience was Jewish, which means for generations, they, they believed in God, they read the scriptures of God, they studied the God, they lived their life by the scriptures of God. And so when Jesus said, ego amy, I am ego amy, his audience would immediately have been brought back to, to a Genesis or a Exodus account in the Old Testament, Exodus 3.14. And in this account, like long story short, the nation of Israel is in slavery. God comes to a man named Moses and is like, hey, Moses, I need you to go deliver these people out of slavery. And he's like, who am I to go? And God's like, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll go with you. And then, and then Moses is like, so God, like, if they ask me who's sending me, because this is so crazy, who am I supposed to say? Right? It's like you blame it on your boss that you have to do something stupid. And God replies back to Moses and says, I am who I am. Tell them, I am who I am. And when God says, I am who I am, he's saying, I am the ultimate thing. I am self-sufficient, self-existent. The other gods of this world were made by man. No one created me. Everything has, has been created by me and through me. All power and energy in this universe flows through me. Nothing is greater. I am outside the bounds of time. I was, I am, and I am to come. And so what you have to, what you have to catch is that this audience, what they would have understood is that, um, from my understanding, 200 to 280 years before this moment when Jesus was making these declarations, um, people went through and translated the, the Hebrew of the Old Testament into Greek, and, or, or a common language, I think it was Greek. Obviously, like, ego emi is Greek, so yeah, it's making sense, sorry. I'm adding it up as I go. Anyway, so the, the years before they translated this statement from Hebrew, I am who I am, into, in the Greek, ego emi. So these people had been studying the Bible in this Greek language. So when Jesus, they had seen Exodus 3, 14, ego amy. And when Jesus said, ego amy, he's claiming I am deity. I am the same thing God claimed to be in the Old Testament that you have for thousands of years followed. The same guy and the same authority. And what I want you to catch is it does not matter your opinion. The fact you have life and breath in your lungs was God's choice. So it's not narrow-minded or bigoted that God chose to give you life so he can make the rules for it. The best example I could think of on the fly, which I think has a little bit of flaws, but I'm just gonna give it anyway, is like this. It's like when a little kid draws you a picture, how many people have had this happen? And it's like three circles, a scribble, and like, like I don't know, like a zigzag. And they're like, here, and you're like, oh, thank you. Like, what is it? And they're like, well, it's a dinosaur eating a spaceship and then they travel to Mars. And you're like, 
what? Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, in that moment, you're not going to be like, dude, you're lying. Like, you are, that's so false. You don't know what you're talking about. Why? Because they're the creator. They created what they gave you. And it's true for them because they, they created it. It's their truth. They made it. God's the only creator of anything. He's the creator of babies and how sex works and how pregnancy works. So he can say abortion's wrong, okay? Like, he, he's the one who created um, um, the boundaries on sexual relationships, and he made you with a private part. He can say what a relation is. And so it can be narrow-minded and bigoted, all that the culture wants. Jesus sitting here, and he's not concerned. He's an outlaw about to be killed for being so provocative. Do you think the lifestyle he's calling us to is going to be any different? Jesus is providing for us a way. And he has the authority to make it because he's the truth and the life. And so there's only one way to end this today. And it's this. We can all come back and recognize this statement, I just want to go home. The best part is Jesus is saying, I can take you there. I can take you there. Jesus made a way where there was none for you to be able to go home. Like, what a culmination of this series. We've spent the last eight weeks going, our view of Jesus can change our life. This is life-changing. This is 100% life-changing. And so in closing today, I want to give two opportunities for you to respond. First of all, I want to give everyone an opportunity to say the salvation prayer. If you have never said it or you feel like you've fallen away and you want to say it again, I believe it's pretty hard to get unsaved once you've been saved just because God's grace is so good. But I want to give the opportunity today for everyone to go, man, if I haven't made that, that decision to follow Jesus, I'm going to. But on the other hand, I also want to give um, an invitation to every person here that has prescribed to the way and in some way has, has um, not been following it fully enough. And like, if you're saying you're following it fully, like, I think you're lying. Because I think there's, again, like, our righteousness is filthy rags. Like, we can never measure up. Like, we have to continually walk in God's grace. Continually let God's grace transform us. Continually let God change things in our life and make him, make us more like his image. And so today, I want to give the opportunity to salvation prayer. And then I want to give an opportunity for you to personalize this message and go, Jesus, I feel like I could be doing better at following this way. I could be doing better at, at living life with you the way you created it. And I want to experience it. When he said life, he said the word zoe, which is this word zoe is a God-breathed life. It's a fullness of life that you cannot grasp on your own. It can only be given as a gift. That's the life he's trying to give to you. So with that being said, every eye closed, every head bowed. If today you want to make a decision for the first time to follow Jesus, would you just raise your hand? I'd like to pray with you today. If not, no worries. We'll move on. Anyone want to, want to make the decision to follow Jesus today? All right. That means hopefully the rest of you now can figure out how to personalize this message. And I can't, give it, I can't do it for you. And that's the beauty of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus left to then send in his place so that all of humanity could have Jesus living inside of them. And the Holy Spirit right now can reveal to you areas you're not living the way out well enough. And so I want to give a moment today, and I want you to say, Holy Spirit, I want you to start changing me. I want to start, I want to start experiencing that transformation, Zoe life that Jesus said I could have. So God, today we just come before you, God, and we thank you. 
God, I can't help but get passionate when I understand the depth of this scripture because you are just so good. And I just, I don't, experiencing you, God, when, when, when we really get to, to strip everything back and really experience who you are, beyond the rules, God, and we just understand grace, God, and what it does for us, God, it's overwhelming. God, it's life-changing. It, it makes us not want to um, go back to the way we came, God. It makes us want to live a different life in this, this grace, this freedom, in this backyard that's fenced off where, where we have room to run safely. God, so today that's our prayer, God, and I pray that you would show each person, God, I'm not the Holy Spirit. God, I'm not, I'm not a, a prophet. God, I'm not a, a lawgiver. God, I'm not a, someone that can read a mind, God, and tell people how to change, God, but I, I, I believe that, that you have the ability to point out in each one of our hearts, God, what we need to do in this moment. So I pray that you would. God, I pray that each one of us would, would, would step into this life you've called us to. God, we thank you for it. God, we thank you that you made a way God, you didn't even have to make a way, but you made a way. God, we complain about the type of way, God, when you just made a way. God, so we just thank you for it today. Thank you for it today. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. So my biggest challenge, I think, is again, like we can have one of these moments and you can have a feeling in your heart that the, the, the trick or the hard part is, is letting it change your life and is walking out here and let it transform you. And so however that works, whether it's listening to the message again, whether it's reviewing your notes, whether it's telling someone next to you, like, hey, I need prayer for this, whether it's going, I'm gonna dedicate like a half hour tomorrow morning before I go to work to, to go, God, I want to change this in a practical way. Take a practical step that will work for you. You know how you work. You go, Jesus, I want to experience this way. And as we close this series, don't forget what you learned. Your God is so good. He's the bread and sustenance of your life. Your God is the good shepherd that leads you. He's the door to a life that you could not imagine. He's the light of the world that pierces any sort of darkness. He's a resurrection light that, that raises you from the dead on this earth in, 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 in spiritual and emotional ways, and he's going to raise you in the last day. And he's the way, the truth, and the life. God is good. Jesus is good. He cares about you. So with that in mind, I want to take a moment and just dismiss you today. Thanks for making this a priority. I encourage you to connect with someone on the way out. Be at the barbecue on, on Wednesday. If you're interested in baptisms, come talk to one of us, staff members, and we can help explain it to you more. Otherwise, just go on the Church Center app and you can register on there. Anyway, we'll see you in the weeks to come. Thanks for coming, church. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.